Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Okay, so let's get into the word. So essentially, throughout the month of April, we are going to be answering the question, what is grace? What is grace? And thematically, we've chosen to go, you know, with the sentence, grace is, you know, dash. And so service after service, we're going to be filling in the blanks, if you know what I mean. Grace is. So we're answering the question, what is grace? And we started, you know, last Wednesday with grace is a revelation. And what do we mean by that? Grace is a revelation in the word of God. And for you to truly understand the grace of God in Christ, you have to have an objective and teachable approach to biblical studies. You cannot just hold on to your preconceived notions. You have to have the humility to go to the word of God as a student, as a child. And whatever you see there, having read it objectively and systematically, you embrace it. You embrace it. Listen, the truth of God's word may or may not be popular. It's not a popularity contest. It's the word of God. Truth is truth, whether it is popular or not. And that's what we established. And we're going to go a step further to give another description, another definition of grace. And we're going to do a reading right now, Ephesians chapter 2. We're actually going to do a minor commentary of Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 10. But we're going to start by reading the first five verses. And then we'll pick it up from there, continue with the last other five later. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1. It says, you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walks in children of disobedience, among them also, we once had our conversation or conducted ourselves, I'm reading from the NKGV, in the loss of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind that were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, hallelujah. Listen, I like Ephesians chapter 2, all right? It tells us who we were before Christ and who we are in Christ. It's a perfect before and after picture, just like in the commercials. Only what is being advertised right now is the generosity of Almighty God. He says, you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He says, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walks in children of disobedience. He went on to tell us who we were and all the situations you know, that we were faced with. This is the proper picture of salvation. The utter helplessness of God. And the, of man, I beg your pardon, the other helplessness of man and the sovereign intervention of God. Who did he say we were? He says we were dead. You have to understand salvation is not simply needing or trying to get better. How does a dead man get better? It's bigger than a morality game. Do you know, when I see the way many people go about their religious devotions, something comes to mind. You know how a lot of people to respect, you know, a dead person, someone who passed away, they don't just throw the person in the coffin. They dress the person up. 
And if it's a lady, they might even do makeup. Some even put jewelry on the person. And honestly speaking, a lot of people and their religious devotion and all the religious calisthenics is just akin to that. Dressing up a dead person. Making the dead person look nice. <laughs> but the person is still dead. And that's what salvation is. It, says, it tells us who we were. We were dead. In trespasses and sins. It says, the prince of the power of the air controlled us. We were subject to demoniacal forces. Principalities and powers. They controlled us, controlled our propensities, controlled our reactions. It says, we fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And then having said all these woes, there is a powerful interjection. Higher. He said, but God. Hallelujah. But God. But God. This is the testimony of salvation. We were utterly helpless. But God. Hey, we were dead in sins. But God. We were under the control of the prince of above the air. But God. Hallelujah. Everything was hopeless until he stepped in. He says, who is rich in mercy. For his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, as quickened us together with Christ. It says, for grace are you saved. This is powerful. You have to understand this. You see, the song of heaven in eternity will not be a song of man's discipline. That's not going to be the song of heaven in eternity. The song of heaven will be the generosity of God. The song of heaven will be the generosity of God. I don't know what you imagine about heaven. There are a lot of vain imaginations out there. You know, a lot of people have this picture where, you know, you're on a long queue waiting for your turn, you know, and then it's, very, it's eventually your turn. You stand before a stern angel and he's just looking through the books of your life and you score points for every good thing you did. And when your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you know, then you're good to go. And then, you know, you're just so excited, you fling the gates of heaven open, and you're like, ah, heaven at last, you know. And then Jesus comes, he's excited to see you. He wants to give you a hug, and you're like, ah, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know you're excited to see me, but let me catch my breath. You know I tried. You know I tried. Ah, I worked so hard. You know how I gave Bring the books, check the books, check my tithing, check my offering. I, I really tried. I really, I really, really tried. Yusef, you know. Those of you who are watching me, you know, from the other parts of the world, and you don't understand Yusef, you know, yeah. <laughs> simply means, oh, you, you, you can attest to that. And, and that's the picture a lot of people have. Yours, your picture might not be as dramatic as that, but a lot of people have this heaven at last. Oh, I worked very hard. You know, I des deserve this mentality. But that's not the picture that, that the Bible paints. It first of all tells you your reputation before Christ. You were dead. Subject to the prince of the power of the air. Led, you know, by your own sensual carnal desires. And then he tells you the reputation of God. He says he's rich in mercy. He says he's great in love. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. That's the reputation of God. He says even when we're dead in sin, he has quickened us together with Christ. So this is your former reputation versus his. You have to understand this. 
Both must balance out. You know what verse 7 says? Oh, talking about salvation. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. So the Bible keeps telling you the reputation of God. First he told you in verse 4, he's rich in mercy, he's great in love, and then he tells you that he's exceeding rich in grace. He's exceeding rich in grace. He is kind and he has great love. So, the reputation of God is emphasized in salvation. Not your reputation. There was nothing to write about your reputation. Nothing good to write about it. You were dead. But God. Listen, I'm, you know what I'm doing? I'm re-engineering your mind. Re-engineering your mind. Because can I tell you something? If these two realities are not present in your consciousness, you still don't understand salvation. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. If you don't see your utter helplessness and the sovereign, gracious intervention of God, you don't understand salvation. Let me explain this to you. You know, think of maybe a petty thief on the streets of Oshodi or any other famously notorious place in Lagos or any part of the world. He can barely put food on the table. Now, he will give anything to be invited to dinner, to be invited to lunch, to, to have food to eat consistently with anybody. That will be a gracious act on itself, on, 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 of itself. But imagine he's invited not just by anybody, but by the President of the United States of America. Oh, let's have lunch together. Let's have dinner together. And so you see, Donald Trump having lunch with someone who should be in prison, you know, and they have a cordial relationship. Can I tell you something? The story will not be complete by you just talking about, you know, Donald Trump or by you just talking about um, this guy and the fact that he couldn't eat and now he has food to eat. That, the story is not complete. <laughs> what makes the story great is who summoned him. Who summoned him? And just imagine what would be going through his mind as he's having the, the lunch. You know, if he's wise, he'll be like, <laughs> except if this man, you know, chose to do this, there is no way, almost no way in the world I would have qualified for this. That's the right perspective. That's the right perspective. So you have to see the utter helplessness of man and the sovereign intervention of God. If you have the slightest imagination that you could have done for yourself what Christ did for you, you still have a long way to go in understanding this thing. You have to understand utter helplessness. It says you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. Dead. There are so many noble religions that teach people to, you know, to try to be nice to humanity, to be nice to people, and all of that, all of them are dead in trespasses and sins. That's what the word of God says. The title of my sermon is simply this. Grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. We're highlighting the utter helplessness of man and the sovereign, generous intervention of the Almighty God. The sovereign, gracious intervention of the Almighty God. Grace is a gift. And we get to verse 8. 
He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves is this the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Can I tell you something? Don't let your mental models hinder you from understanding this. It's so simple. <laughs> it's emphasized, you know, what salvation is. Put aside your preconceived notions and look at this objectively. It says, by grace are you saved. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And that's why we're saying grace is a gift. The Bible says it. Grace is the gift of God. And it begins to describe, you know, what it means by that. When we say grace is the gift of God or salvation is the gift of God, what does it mean? It means we receive salvation by grace. I know it seems like I'm repeating myself, but I just want to iron this thing out and spell it out as if I'm talking to a child. Receive salvation by grace. Can I tell you this? When you look at the men in the Bible that we know they are in heaven, the men in the Bible we know are in heaven, what do you think about them? When you think of Jacob, when you think of David, what do you think about them? When you think of Abraham, what did you, of course, there are a lot of great and noble stories to remember about them. But you also know that if salvation was by sinless perfection, they have no business in heaven. Do you know who Jacob was? You know what he did? Abraham, Peter, Saul, if it was by sinless perfection, and hey, for God's sake, I'm, this is a whole series, so I know you might have questions, and we're coming to that. Nobody who is saved can you know, go on unrepentantly in sin. That's another subject entirely. But let us move from what is known to what is unknown. This is a teaching in the Word of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. David murdered somebody and took over his wife. Now, that's horrible. Horrible. But the truth is, the moment you place your faith in Christ and in his salvation, the sins of your past, present, and future, they are blotted out. That's what the Bible teaches. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. The vilest offender who truly believes, the songwriter, you know, says, uh, is saved. And then the person who is righteous in his own eyes, holds on to his own righteousness, will not be saved. I mean, it's that simple because grace is a gift. It's a gift through faith. You see, the fact that salvation is by faith, you know, still highlights the grace of God. Do you know what it means? To see a man who has eternal life, who has the Spirit of God dwelling in him. You know, it's just like you see someone in your neighborhood. Maybe you grew up in a ghetto. And then you see someone with a flashy equipment, you know, or maybe a smartphone that you know he cannot afford. You accost the person because the person is your friend. And you say, where did you get this thing? Where did you get this thing? Where did you get this thing? And that's how salvation is. Do you know what it means for a man to be offered eternal life? I mean, that when he dies 
at the trump of God, he will rise again to live forever. That's, that's no small thing. And then you ask him, what did you have to do to get this? He said, oh, I, I just believed the message of the gospel. You, you just what? You didn't have to pay money. You didn't have to pay any sacrifice. All you had to do was hear the message of the gospel. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. That's it, you're saved. No sacrifice, no atonement, no probational period. You know, that's it. That's it. You're a thief on the cross beside Jesus. And you say, oh, remember me in paradise, meaning you place your trust in him that he is who he says he is. Otherwise, he wouldn't have prayed that prayer. And Jesus looks at him and says, I say to you emphatically, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, what, what would you think if you were the family that put that thief on the cross? He had been stealing from you. He eventually reported him to the authorities. Now he's on the cross. And, you know, I can, I can imagine what was going through their mind. Oh, serves him right. Telling the children, that's how you end up. You know, African story tales. You know, how African parents, you know, that's how you end up if you continue to steal from my pot and stuff like that. And then you see Jesus right there immediately tell him, I say to you today. Because really, all you have to do to be saved is to place your faith in Christ. So, it's a grace, it's, it's by grace, and it is through faith. And then it says, lest any man should boast. Can I tell you something? There is no boast in salvation. No boast. No boast. Nobody ha, ha, ha. can by his own merits. Say he deserves to be saved. Nobody. Listen, it's not like I have more boasting rights than, you know, the church members. And maybe some other senior man of God has more boasting rights than I do. There is no single person that can or is permitted to boast in his own merits. Listen, while learning about salvation, this is, this is, this is the ABCs. It says, it is by grace, lest any man should boast. Meaning, because it is by grace, there is no boasting then. No place by, for works. Because you didn't earn it, you can't brag about it. Because you didn't earn it, you can't brag about it. It's so simple. There is no boasting here. Not by works, he says. But by grace, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is not of yourselves. You didn't work for it. You don't deserve it. And so you can't brag about it. It's a gift. An undeserved gift. An unmerited favor. We can't boast. Our only boast is in the Lord. We serve God by his spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. That salvation. Paul said we are the circumcision. Who serve God by his spirit. And put no confidence in the flesh. Our boast is in Christ Jesus. He is our boast. Not our works. Not our efforts. Not our qualifications. We have nothing to offer. Listen, didn't you hear what he said we were? He says you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. How do you get a dead man to contribute? 
What, 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 what can he do? What can he lift? What can he bring? Nothing. And so what did he do? He quickened us. He says, you hath he quickened. He brought us back to life. Salvation is the dead being brought back to life. It is not the living trying to do better. It is the dead brought back to life. This is important. No boasting. No boasting. It, the same thing was repeated in Romans chapter 3. You know, it's important to know. <laughs> you know, in Romans chapter 3, Paul said, where is boasting then? It is excluded. Romans 3.27. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. He just described, you know, the grace of God. And then his conclusion is, where is boasting then? It's, it's, it's excluded. From verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. In Ephesians chapter 2 that we just read, verse 9, he says the same thing. Not of works, lest any man should boast. I, I hope this is clear. You will never come to a point in your life where you will look at your prayer life, your fasting life, you know, your ability to hold yourself from doing the wrong things and think that that's the reason you are saved or that's what's going to qualify you for heaven. There's only one thing that is ever going to qualify you for heaven and that's faith in Jesus. Oh, yes, make no mistake. Faith in Jesus will be commensurate with fruits, fruits of righteousness. But it is not the fruits that made you saved. The fruits follow salvation. They are fruits of salvation, not requirements for salvation. Fruits of salvation. Fruits of righteousness, not requirements for righteousness. This is so simple. You have to believe it. Because it matters to God. It matters to God that you believe it. Can I tell you something? If you gave something to someone that the person didn't deserve, and you hear the person bragging, especially bragging to others, that's not going to be a good look. This is not some empty theological debate. We're talking about the grace of God in Christ. To preach salvation any other way is to tamper with the glory of God. Because God is most glorified when you realize that you were utterly helpless without what he so freely and generously offered. You have to understand this. The message is not complete except it is by grace. This is so important. This is so crucial. Hallelujah. Oh, you know what? Let me give you 10 seconds. Just worship him and thank him. <laughs> worship him and thank him. Worship him and thank him. Worship him and thank him. 
Worship him and thank him. Glory to his name. We thank you, gracious God. In Jesus' mighty name. You know, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told the parable of two men. Two men went into the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. The other was a publican. Now, this is word and opposite. In terms of social reputation, one was at the top of the pyramid. To be a Pharisee, you know, you've memorized the, the law of Moses, the Torah by heart. You know, you, you are the symbol of nobility, of morality in the community. And the other one was a publican. You need to know who the publican is. When the Roman Empire conquered the Jews, God's people, the Jews, they employed some of the Jews to be taking the taxes from their own people. And those people were called publicans. They were seen as the lowest and most corrupt people. You see, when they wanted to use examples of the most corrupt people, publicans were used. So now he's giving an illustration. Even by, by this, the way he started the story, a lot of people will get the picture already. Two people come to pray. One is a Pharisee. One is a publican. You know what I mean? Carnally thinking, you're just like, oh, <laughs> oh, the publican stands no chance. In fact, the moment he saw the Pharisee in the temple at that time, he should have just given way. What's he doing? What's he doing? How is God going to listen to him when his special son is talking at the time? And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Even as this publican, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Can I tell you something? A lot of you are thinking, oh, he did the wrong thing. I will never do that. You do. I'll prove it to you. Every time you come to the place of prayer and you don't feel worthy, because of what you do. You know, many times it's time to pray and you first quickly do a scan in your mind of how the last week was and how you acted, all the things you did, how many times you prayed, how many times you didn't pray. And that's what informs your confidence to pray to God. You are where this man is. You might be saved, but you still have some reorientation to do. My stand with God must always be based on grace. And that's not to say I cannot assess myself and see areas to improve. That's not, I'm not saying that at all. But when it informs your confidence, you know, you know when you feel, ah, I've not done anything wrong lately now, then you're bold to pray. <laughs> that's wrong. You need to renew your mind. Okay? You need to re this is so important. Because many times... You know, when you're reading stories like this, you have the propensity to think, oh, he's the guy who did the wrong thing. No, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. But maybe you do it. So think about that. That's a very crucial point. He said, I thank you. I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Another example I'm going to give you is, you know, maybe you are going out to preach the gospel. And subconsciously, you are judging people by how they look, how they are dressed. 
the first thing is we have the propensity to avoid you know people who look rough and go for the people who look decent you know they are easier to talk to and god always surprises us because many times it's some of the most decent looking people that are the most stubborn <laughs> and it's the people who you think you know are tough and unruly and they just receive so readily because it's not about looks it's not about that and many times by, by what we see the person doing you know what we see the person doing will determine how intense our preaching will be you know so some people we just go there and we say you know what Jesus died for you. And if you will believe in him now, you will be saved. But it's a different ballgame when you're in a club and you see the, the person frolicking and doing all sorts of things. There is something in you, the Elijah in you, you know, you don't want to tell the person, if you don't repent now in seven days, <laughs> you don't want things like that. <laughs> And that's, that's because subconsciously many times, you see, you know how self-righteousness works? By comparison. By comparison. In your exams in school, when you see your result and you see 55, you're like, oh, I thought I would have done better and all of that. And many times when you now hear, oh, you were the highest in the class. There is some compensation, you know, that you feel. Like, oh, <laughs> because there is something about the inadequacies of others that make us feel adequate. That's carnality at work. So we like to measure up, even if we're not 100% ourselves, and we will never be, all right? And that's why we need a new body. We will never be, you know, because... Other people appear to be doing worse than we are. We feel compensated. And so yours might not be as dramatic as this guy, but I assure you a lot of Christians act like this because they're not properly taught. And that's why I'm taking my time to spell it out to you. You may not point when you're praying and say, I'm not like this guy. I'm God, you know, I'm not like this boy. <laughs> but what, what if you think it? What, you just, what if you just feel like it? Sometimes we have a superiority complex. We feel we are better than others. And all these things have to stop. It is by grace that we all are saved. The most famous man of God in this country and the, and the newest believer, they have the same degree of righteousness. Because righteousness is not in degrees. You know, if... The requirement for Wayek is that you have C4, <laughs> a credit, Edo. If you like, have 100. And let someone else have 55. I can't remember what C4 is, but you have a credit. You know, all the rest is for your pocket. You both qualify. Someone finished from the university 4.5 CGPA. Someone else finished 5 points. What did they both have? First class. The rest is for your pockets. It's for, it's for record purposes. <laughs> for record purposes. When they say first class students stand up, you will stand up together. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And the same thing applies to failure. Someone had F and he scored two. 
Arabes had M and he's got 28. Guys, brothers and sisters, fail is fail. You cannot be more, you can't have more F than another person. After F, there's nothing else. If you had F, you have F. All right, you failed. He failed. Simple. Accept it. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. I just say, this is something you have to understand. But this guy apparently didn't know that. He's, he's looking during the time, when it's time for prayer. And he's thinking that I'm better than these guys. Like in ch- some church services, some people are bothered about what other people are doing. I remember I was in a meeting years ago and I was praying. And there was something I used to do years ago. When I'm hearing from the Lord, subconsciously, I put my hand in my pocket and lean in. You know, it was just something I was doing subconsciously. So the Lord was talking to me. And all of a sudden, I felt a hand forcefully remove my hand <laughs> from my pocket. And I was distracted. Like, God was literally talking to me that moment. And the person looked at me sternly and said, stop putting your hand in your pocket in the presence of God. <laughs> and I was like, if I might have like, uh, I was concentrating a lot more than you, clearly for you to have been seeing me. I'm there worshiping the Lord, and he's focused on my posture. These are, the, these are the challenges that we have in the body of Christ. No comparison, no boasting, no superiority complex. And that does, that's not to say you can't correct people. All right? Just don't have a self-righteous consciousness about it. All right? So he says, he says but the publican standing far off will not lift up so much as his eyes to the heaven. He will not look, lift up so much as, as his eyes to the heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what? We know that no one went to the temple without carrying lamps. So while the other one lifted up his head and was smiting his chest, bragging about who he is, you know, and what he gives, and how often he fasts. This other guy had his eyes down on his sacrifice. He was trusting in, you know, that's a picture of the redemptive work of Christ, the lamb that was slain. The, this other guy is trusting in himself. The other guy is looking down on his sacrifice. And he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what Jesus said? Jesus is the one telling the story. I mean, this is area of concentration. This is, this is the person who is going to judge on the last day. And he's telling you, you know, what matters to him. He tells you in verse 14, he says, I tell you, this man went out to his house justified. He says, the publican went to his house justified rather than the other. He didn't say he was more justified than the Pharisee. No, the Pharisee was not justified at all. At all. The publican was justified. The Pharisee, can I tell you something? You're going to see a lot of that on the last day. A lot of people who are pompous because of, you know, what they feel they bring to the table. You know, they have a lot of personal moral justifications, a lot of nobility. The things they've done for their community, how often they fast and all of that. And they will not be saved. And there are a lot of people who you think by their own qualification, Jesus told the story himself. He's busting people's bubble, you know, because normally 
A normal man just uses just simple morality to gauge. And this is not to say a believer in Christ should be immoral. God forbid that I ever teach that. Just hear what I'm saying. But I'm saying, even the most noble person in the eyes of people who does not put his faith in Christ and in his finished work will still not be saved. There is no other name given under heaven by which men should be saved but by the name of Jesus. This is so simple because grace is a gift. If it was by work, Many of us will not qualify, but it's a gift. You either have it or you don't, and you can't earn it. You cannot earn it. You can't, you, listen, you can bribe your way through the, because of the corrupt systems of the world, have the entire police force in your pocket, but it's not going to work in God's kingdom. Only way to be saved is to have faith in Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Glory to God. So it's a gift. It's a free gift. You know, a lot of people buy that satanic quote in the world. Okay, let me not be too harsh. Let me put it this way. A lot of people have been sold that ungodly idea of the world that says heaven helps those who help themselves. There is nothing farther from the truth than that. I mean, that's the opposite of the truth. Heaven helps the helpless. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and he quickened you. You know, that's the message of salvation. I know they're trying to talk about, you know, not being irresponsible with your faith. And there are other ways to say it, but you don't say heaven helps those who... That's not true. Especially regarding salvation is not true at all. Jesus preaching for the first time on the earth, the Beatitudes or the attitudes to be, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. For you to inherit the kingdom, you have to be poor in spirit, to have a sense of insufficiency in yourself and in your own capacity, in your own merits. When you know that you can't make it on your own, it is Heaven is for the weak. Heaven is for people who can't qualify on their own. Those are the people that heaven is for. Everyone who is strong, like that Pharisee, is, go- is going to fail. It's going to fail. Heaven does not help those who help themselves. Heaven is for the helpless. Heaven is for the helpless. The Bible says, Jesus talking, it says, it is the sick that need a physician. That's what he said. It's the sick. So every time, all right, you come before the presence of God and you try to exhibit strength, you disqualify yourself. If you come to God a prince, you will leave a beggar. If you go, come to God a beggar, you will leave a prince. If you come like Jacob trying to war your way, your limb is going to dislocate. It's a simple principle. Heaven is for the weak. So in salvation, you have to bear in mind who you are and who God is. Any other approach to salvation will be a show of lack of appreciation for Christ and what he has done. I'm going to end with a verse that a lot of people, you know, use, but they use in a very suspicious way. You know, 
many times you have to understand, a liar is not someone who just tells 100% a lie. It's, it's someone who hides some of the information. You have to be aware of that. And so anybody who removes, you know, who tells you anything out of context is a con man. <laughs> if you take the text out of context, what you have left is con. A con man. You're trying to deceive people. So the text I want to share with you is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. You know, and a lot of people have shared this, but they share only the first part. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And then they stop there. They are preaching. And this is all they say. But that's not the full thing. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The verse doesn't just say the wages of sin is death and end there. That's not what it says. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Oh, glory to God. I told you grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He starts by telling you what you deserve based on what you've done. Oh, yeah, you used to be a thief. Oh, yeah, you used to belong to a cult. Oh, yeah, you did all that wrong stuff. You aborted so many times. You know, you lived a wayward life. You know, you defrauded people financially. The wages of sin is death. Based on your own merit, that's what you deserve. But thank God we are not coming to God based on our own merit. This is what I deserve It was if it was by my own merit. But it tells you, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God salvation is not a wage, it's a gift. Hallelujah. I don't get what I deserve. I get a free, generous gift from the Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The gift of God. Oh, I've received the gift of God. Glory to God. I've received the gift of God. You, don't, you know what? A lot of eschatological teachings are out there right now saying, we're, I mean, we're close to the end of the world. And make no mistake, that's correct. But your response to that message will determine how educated you are. Gone are the days when we hear a teaching on the end times, we begin become afraid. But in the Bible, the saints were not afraid. They were crying Maranatha. You know what Maranatha means? It means come quickly. They were praying for Lord, the Lord to come quickly. They couldn't wait for him to come. And for you to pray that, you have to have a confidence in your salvation. We're praying, come quickly, Lord. And so now, anybody who has learned about the grace of God as a gift, when he hears the Lord is coming, you'll be excited. In fact, the only reason you're not as excited as you should be is because of other people who have not heard the message, who have not received the free gift. But as far as you are concerned, oh, come quickly, Lord. Don't just come. Come quickly, sir. Come already. Come anytime. In the morning, in the night, makes no difference. In the afternoon, when I'm sleeping, when I'm awake, hallelujah. I don't have to be giving 
20 seconds prior notice. A lot of people anticipate that, God forbid, they are knocked down by a vehicle and just moments before they die, they quickly mutter some words. It's a sin of commission, omission, permission, you know, <laughs> everything that I've committed, forgive me. It doesn't work that way. What if your own is fast? <laughs> you have to have a greater confidence than that. And here is the confidence. He has given you a gift. Salvation is a gift. It says the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wherever you are, in your house, in your room, I want you to stand up and thank him for that gift. Thank him for that gift. You know, a lot of people are fervent in prayer for miracles, but they are not fervent in appreciation for salvation. I want you to show fervent appreciation. If you understand what I've been saying, show fervent appreciation right now. Begin to thank him right now. Pray in the spirit and thank him. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.